That really is uh, our prayer this morning, Father, that you would, uh, that Jesus would be our legacy, that Jesus would be the substance of who we are as a community, as people, that we would know you in the power of your resurrection um, every day, and that this community would help to that end. So come Holy Spirit uh, today in this place. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Kids are going back with Miss Renee. And I see the Deweys back there with little Asher. So hello them. There he is. He's so tiny. There, guys, he is cute. Don't, let's, hey, by the way, seriously, we are entering that season. Like, I say this for every parent, including myself. Don't touch my baby, okay? Just, you know, touch their feet. Don't, as someone recently did, stick your finger in their mouth. So that happened, and then my kid got an ear infection. I wonder how. So that was cool. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, love from a distance. (laughs) I just said that with new parents. Vanessa's like, (gasps) okay. So, uh, by the way, wearing sweatpants today. What would be more concerning to you, if I changed my theology or if I suddenly became an athlete? You know what I'm saying? I don't... Uh, it's Sweatpants Sunday, so we bring some pairs and take them to kids at McGuffey Pre-K-8 down in Warren, which is always a lot of fun. Um, by the way, you've noticed Art and Pam Cooper are not in the house this morning. Art's mom died this week, and the service is this afternoon. So uh, I can give you some details about that. But Okay. Oh, and Karis and Josh are here. Sorry. Yes, my wife. It took me five times. Got it. Hi. Karis is uh, Art's daughter, Art and Pam's daughter, and her husband, so... Thing about you guys. So, Psalm 90. Let's go to Psalm 90. Let me get myself all hooked up here and throw my sunglasses around. And all right, somebody say, "Help him, Jesus." You know what I mean? Okay. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. It was uh, June of 2014. Steph and I uh, were out to dinner to celebrate our second anniversary. Uh, We had a good meal, and we decided to go out for ice cream. These were the days where my wife was eating dairy. And uh, sign the check. I look at her across the table, and I say, okay, let's go plant a church now. Because that's how everybody does it, I think, is says to their spouse, let's go plant a church now. We'd just gotten back from a church planting boot camp. We developed a plan to launch a new faith community for young adults. The plan was, I mean, the plan was massive. It felt mostly impossible, but we went to Katie's Corner, and we met Harry and Kathy and Rick and Brigetta, good friends of ours, and while we were there, on the first day, we decided to plant our, like we said, let's go do this. Who did we meet at Katie's Corner but Zach and Jenna, well, then Zach Byler and Jenna Germano. Zach doesn't remember this, Uh, (laughs) but... uh, Something was significant there. And if you were to look at my journals from that summer and that fall, in those early months of planting region, you would see one verse over and over and over again from Psalm 90. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I I never wanted to be a church planter. In fact, I had decided years prior that I never wanted to be a church planter because we had too many churches that were being ineffective. And so let's work with those churches instead of 
planting new ones. But I don't know if you know this, but when you follow Jesus, he's not always super interested in what you want. And so a church planter I became. Guys, I was so mad at God for like a year, a year. And finally, that late that winter, the Lord like grabbed me and was like, you're just mad because I didn't ask you. You're mad because I told you. And I was like, yeah, that would be it. Okay, next thing, yes. I would beg God in the middle of the night, crying, establish the work of your hands. I would beg God, establish the work of your hands when we started coming into this building. And the chairs weren't set up like this. There were actually about 140 chairs in here, and we would remove 60 of them every week uh, and do all this setup and go home late. I would pray establish the work of our hands. I would also pray, please let there be more people because we were meeting on Sunday nights. It would be like February and it would be freezing. There'd be like eight people in the room when we started. And I would just pray that when I stood up and turned around after worship that there would be more people than there were. I, I prayed, establish the work of our hands. And as I've been thinking about this week and this message, I've really just been thinking about that line, establish the work of our hands. So I want to spend some time in Psalm 90 together today. I'm going to read the whole thing, Psalm 90, and then we'll uh, get into it. It says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set your iniquities before you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble and they soon are gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom Return, O Lord, how long? Have mercy on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. By the way, this is what's printed on your mugs, that verse, for a long time. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is a psalm. It's written by Moses. It's the only of the 150 psalms attributed to him. And it's a hard-to-define psalm. What genre is it? Is it a psalm of trust? Is it a communal prayer for health? Is it a wisdom psalm? It seems to have all of these elements and more. And and in this psalm, we kind of see three things. We see first that we see God's eternal nature. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We see that humanity's lives, our lives are ephemeral, which is a fancy word I learned this week. Ephemeral is the opposite of eternal. Short and brief and frail. 
Do you return us to the dust? Third, that caught in between the space of God's eternal nature and our not eternal nature, our limited days, we have one task, and that task is to number our days so that we could gain a heart of wisdom. I want to explore this psalm just for a few minutes together. See, here's what Moses has to say first. He says, God is eternal. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, A.W. Tozer translates this as from the vanishing point to the vanishing point. Think as far back as you can in history, and eventually it disappears. God is before then. Think as far as you can into the future until time is meaningless, and God is after then. Could you get me a coffee or something? Thanks, babe. Very like verklempt. It's a little SNL reference for people over 40 in the room, you know what I mean? This is God, eternal, everlasting, and Psalm 90 confronts us with God's eternal nature, but Moses does it not in a way to terrify us, not in a way to scare us, but actually to comfort us. He says that God's eternal nature makes him our only true home, that he alone is our dwelling place, that in him and him alone we find the rest and the belonging that we're really looking for. He says God is infinite, and just as God is infinite, we are finite. You return man to the dust, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday. See, our lives on this planet are short. Our lives on this planet are short. In fact, in verse 10, Moses says that at best, we could hope for 70 or even 80 years. That anything less than that is a tragedy, anything more than that is a blessing. Thank you, my love. Psalm 90 is reminiscent of Isaiah 40. Our lives are but dust. Compared to God's, our life is like a dream that I had and shook off as my alarm went off today. It is like the grass that is renewed every day. See, Moses says, God is eternal. We are ephemeral. We possess short, brief, frail lives that are here today and gone tomorrow. And then Moses says something interesting. These short lives that we live are lived under God's anger. Where was that worship song in the set? Our short and brief lives are lived under God's anger. Three times in this psalm does it mention God's wrath. Twice does it mention God's anger. It says we are brought to an end by your anger. All our days pass away under your wrath. The span of our years is but toil and trouble, and soon we fly away. I mean, what is the deal with this psalm? Where is the happy, clappy, it's our fifth birthday psalm? At a practical level, this is important. It is important that we do not forget the wrath of God, that we do not forget the anger of God, that we do not forget those characteristics in God's life that drive him to judgment and fairness. Living under the wrath and anger of God stops us from throwing away our very short lives on useless things. And I'll unpack that in a minute. But at a theological whole story level of the Bible, Psalm 90 and this whole living under God's anger and return to the dust, it's a psalm that is all about living outside of the garden. 
It is a psalm all about our lives now that we are no longer in the Garden of Eden where our first parents walked with God in the cool of the day, where their relationship was unfettered and free from sin and shame, where their work bore fruit, where their work was not toil, it was joyful and it was meaningful. But our first parents lived outside the boundaries. They broke all of humanity's relationship with God. And now we live under God's wrath. We live under God's judgment. We, we live through our years toiling and struggling in, through our lives and, and, and through our work. Ultimately, death is our destination. Our lives, Psalm 90 says, are marked by sin by iniquities, some of which are out in the open for all to see, but most of which, if not the vast majority of which, dwell deep within us in a way that only God can see. But he sees them. You set my iniquities before you. Psalm 90 is about life outside the garden, about our eternal God and our short span of years that are lived under his anger and wrath under the watchful eye of a God who looks and judges and evaluates our minds and our hearts, who sees everything. But God's eternal anger is not the end of the story. God's eternal life, God's eternal anger is not the end of the story. Our life outside of the garden is more than toil and trouble. It is more than despair and death. Because Moses says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. See, God is eternal. God is angry. God is wrathful, but he is also the God of mercy. He is also the God of steadfast love. He is the God of glorious power. He is the God who gives us favor and makes our work in this life meaningful. God's wrath and love are part of the story. They are a vital part. They are a necessary part, but they are just a part. God is eternal. Our lives are marked by despair and death, but Moses says this is the God who will make us glad for as many days as he has afflicted us, if not more. This is the God who, despite our toil and trouble, gives us favor so that the work of our hands lasts beyond us. This is the God who will return to us in mercy. This is the God who shows us steadfast love and mercy, which Psalm 23 says will follow us all the days of our life even until we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, we are afflicted and crushed and beat down, but Moses says we are not abandoned. God, this God of mercy will return to us and bring us to our eternal dwelling place. Here's my Tim Keller move for you this morning. Psalm 90 cries out for Jesus, and this right here is where we find him. Psalm 90 cries out for Jesus, and this right here is where we find him, because Jesus is the steadfast love of the Lord made flesh for us, that we would eat and be satisfied. Jesus is the Lord's visitation to us, first in the manger and sooner than we think, again in in mercy and glory. 
Jesus is the Lord's power and work in our midst and in our day. He, Jesus, is the Lord's mighty hand and outstretched arm. Jesus is the favor of God on all humankind. Jesus is the declaration of the years of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, and he comes to take us home. He is the way to our true dwelling place. He's the one that returns us to the garden. He's the one that gets us to dwell with God in eternity forever. It is Jesus who says this, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. It is Jesus who says, abide in me and I in you. Jesus brings all of Psalm 90's gloom into good news. And given all of this, given God's eternal nature, given our brief lives lived not only under his anger but also his favor, Moses makes one prayer. Moses makes one challenge. Moses says, this is what we have to do. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We live short lives under God's wrath. And it calls us to live in certain ways. And this is what Moses is getting at. I think this might be what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 5 when he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think this is what Jesus had in mind when Jesus said in John 12, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This has two ramifications for us on our fifth birthday, for all of us personally and then for us as a community. See, we only have this one life to live, which I believe is the name of a soap opera. Yes? One life to live. It's been a long while since I was home in the middle of the day to watch this, but I'm told. Yeah, at my programs. I've not been able to see them. Um, my shows. Right after The Price is Right. You know what I'm saying? Nothing, nothing said home from school like Bob Barker. <laughs> we have one life to live. That's it. We have this one life to live. And if we are not careful, if we are not careful, if we haven't taken stock of just how short our lives are, if we haven't taken stock of just how short our lives are in the midst of God's eternal now, we might not spend this one life in the most fruitful and fulfilling way possible. Oh, we may think we're chasing a fulfilling life, but we won't find it. I think it's funny how when we're children, all we want to do is grow up. All Malachi wants right now is to be bigger and older than he is. When we're little, we want to get big enough. I mean, Jack is desperate to walk. He'll soon be desperate to ride a bike. 
He'll soon be desperate to go and spend the night at a friend's house by, you know, for the first time. He'll soon be desperate to get a driver's license and to go away to college and to graduate and to live on his own. But something happens there in our late teens and our early 20s where the tables turn and suddenly time that was moving slow, slow all the way through our childhood slams on the gas and begins moving at 80 miles an hour by us. Adulthood is marked by time that just blows by us. Days that are painfully slow, but weeks and months that are even faster and faster. I have a nine-month-old. How did that happen? If we aren't careful, we resign ourselves to the passing of these days and weeks and months. We survive each day as it comes, and we save what truly matters to us, and I dare say what matters to the kingdom, what matters to eternity. We save it for later, and we say, we'll get there when things calm down. I'll take this part of following Jesus seriously uh, when, when things calm down. Guys, listen, I, I, I hate to break it to you. Things are never going to calm down. Things are never going to get easier. Time will never slow down, and if we wait... If we wait to have clear schedules, if we wait for busyness to subside, to do what's most important, we will never get there. If our lives are so short, we might just waste them. If we don't know, if we don't make the most of the time, if we don't think about how our days are numbered, we will not, as Paul says, walk wisely. We will walk foolishly. We will not spend our lives on the will of God. We will not spend our lives consequentially. See, Psalm 90 is all about calling us to live lives of consequence. But our lives are so short and so fast that we're tempted to waste them on pleasure and greed and self-fulfillment. This is why Moses has that line about you set your iniquities before us, even our secret sins are revealed to you. This is why Moses says that our days are lived under God's anger. It's a buffer between us and wasting our lives on silly things. It's a buffer between us and wasting our lives on silly things. It builds breaks into our lives so that we don't just take care of ourselves first and meet our own needs first and then give over, get whatever we have left over to others. See, we were reminded on, of, anger on the, of God's anger on the one hand and God's favor on the other because a life spent in selfishness and greed and in pursuit of comfort is ultimately one, hear me on this, a life spent in the, in the pursuit of comfort and selfishness and greed is ultimately a life in which you forsake the favor of God. It's ultimately a life where you forsake the favor of God. And when we forsake the, the, the favor of God in our lives, what we do in this life never lasts beyond us. Without God's favor, what we do in this life will not matter after we leave this life. This is why Jesus says in John 15 that when we abide in him, we bear much fruit, and that it's fruit that lasts. Without abiding in him, there is no fruit that lasts. We could work hard. We could provide a beautiful life for our families, our children, and our grandchildren, but it won't last. Because in the process, we'll have forsaken 
forsaken the favor of God. See, Annie Dillard, Annie Dillard gets it right when she says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Your life, friends, your life will not be defined by what you get to later. Your life will not be defined by what you do next week. Your life will be defined by what is on your schedule today. Your life will be defined by what is on your calendar for tomorrow. It will be defined by your pursuits and your Instagram posts and the legacy you and I leave our children and grandchildren is being written right now. What my kids will say about me at my funeral is being written right now. So Moses says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. Our lives are so short, we don't want to waste them on silly things. We want to live lives of consequence. And lives of consequence happen when we count our days, when we realize how few they are, and we live what days we have poured out for the kingdom and poured out in obedience. That's a life of consequence. This being Regen's fifth birthday, I could tell you about all the times that I wept and all the times I was up in the middle of the night, all the times that Steph and Zach and Harry and Kathy and dozens of others have had to yank me back from like the abyss of self-pity and failure. At some point I can tell you about the tears we cried and the feelings we felt as we've watched this little community take shape and come to life about the gut-wrenching horridness when people leave, the gut-wrenching horridness when people are hurt. In many ways, this community was our baby before we got to have a baby. Welcome to being second place in our lives. He says it with love, but it's true. I like Jack more. But we're here by the grace of God. His mercies were new every morning. And as a spiritual family, we have been satisfied every day by his unfailing love. We are here by the grace of God. Hear me on this. Not by my preaching. Not by my or Steph's personality. Not by how good our worship is. Not by great, how great our kidsmen is. We are here by the grace of God. And as I read Psalm 90, this idea of like God wakes up and shakes off our lives, like I shook off my dreams this morning, I am fully aware that we could be here today and gone tomorrow. That in the grand eternal history of what God is doing in the world, what we've done for the last five years and what we hope to do for the next 5, 10, 15, 50, whatever it is, it's just a tiny little drop in the bucket of what God is doing and has been doing and will do. I'm, a, I'm aware that the brevity of life in Psalm 90 applies just as much to us as a community as it does to individuals. We have only this one life to live together. We have only this one shot at these days that we get to share. This is why Moses' prayer, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, is just as important for all of us as it is to each of us. What kind of church do we want our kids and grandkids to be raised in? What culture of discipleship do we want our kids to experience as normal? 
What kind of church do we want our friends and family members and siblings and neighbors to come to know and follow and serve Jesus in and through? Our answers to these questions are not found in dreams and ideas shared in staff meetings or the things that we could do if we had more money or more people or a different building. Our answers to these questions are found right now, today, in how we interact with one another. How we engage in life together in this space and in our homes and over text messages and at coffees and at dinners and in weekend and week out, our questions about what kind of church are we becoming are found not in what we could do, but are found in what we are doing because how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. I, I can't escape this line from Psalm 90. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to, the ch- to their children. Here's what Moses knows. Moses knows that our short lives lived in toil and struggle as they are, only find meaning in how we bless those who come after us. I'm going to say that again. Our short lives, lived in toil and struggle as they are, only find meaning in how we bless those who come after us, which is why we will now unapologetically and forever return to the truth that the most important person in the room is the person who's not here yet. And if you don't like it, there's plenty of other churches where you can be the important person. But given the shortness of our life, the only thing that matters, the only thing that we can do that lasts is for what, for the people that come after us. And as a church, we are contending not for ourselves. We are contending for our children. We are contending for our grandchildren. We are contending for the people that you and I and all of us are discipling and going to reach five years from now. People whose names we don't know people whose stories that we haven't even gotten a glimmer in our eyes about, we are contending not just for what we commit ourselves to right now and experience right now, but what those who come to our church in one, three, five, 15 years from now will experience. Our church will only be compelling to our children and our grandchildren to other people as it is compelling to us right now. Our church will only be as compelling to other people as it is compelling to us right now. Our understanding of the gospel the shape of our lives will only be as compelling to other people as it is compelling to us right now in this moment. And so if my prayer in our early years together were let your favor be upon us and establish the work of our hands, the prayer for the next five years is let your power be shown to your servants. Like show up now in our midst right now and your glorious power to their children. In other words, A.W. Tozer says, let not thy eternity be wasted on me. Let not thy thy eternity be wasted on me. Don't let me waste it in small things. Don't let me so chase after the urgent that I never get to the important. John Piper, somehow John Piper has been quoted two times in a row now, so we kind of need to take a break, but... John Piper says this. Three weeks ago, this was from some years ago, three weeks ago we got news at our church. We got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. That's in Africa. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, 
poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnering up with Ruby, she was also pushing 80, going from village to village in Cameroon, and the brakes gave way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. John Piper says, I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women, when they're almost 80s, a whole life devoted to Jesus Christ, magnified among the poor and the sick and the hardest places, and 20 years after most of their American counterparts have begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, they fly into eternity with death in a moment. John Piper says, is this a tragedy? It's not. He says, no. He says, this is the tragedy, a page that he ripped out of uh, Reader's Digest. Bob and Penny took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trailer, play softball, trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. That's the tragedy. The tragedy is forsaking a life of consequence, a life of meaning, a life poured out in obedience to Jesus, for seashells. And so we pray, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, for everything that you have done and yet to do, we are a thankful people. And ask that you would teach us and remind us today, give a sense of how short our lives are, that we may live lives of consequence, that we will not spend our life on trivialities, but on that which is the utmost. We pray, let not thy eternity be wasted on me. In Jesus' name, amen. The way we're going to do response time today is a little different. We're going to go right to the table. We have been having and receiving communion as this community every week that we have gathered since our beginning, except on Easter Sundays. So every week for five years, minus snow days and Easter's. And we come to this table because it solidly places Jesus at the center. It solidly places him as our foundation. So in a few minutes, I'll invite you up to receive communion. The way we receive communion at Regen is very simple. Someone rips off a piece of the bread. You dip it in the cup like a nacho. You taste and see that the Lord is good. But what I would like to invite you to do is to share with us, share with me, what is your prayer for the next five years at Regen? What is your prayer for our next five years together? Is it a word? Is it a passage of scripture? Um, by, on that door and in that corner, it's like that big white post-it and next to it are little small post-its and pens. Once you've gone through and come and receive communion, you can go and just write on that and stick it on the wall. Um, 
I'm excited to be doing this with you. Can I get three people to serve communion with me today? One, two, three. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he offered it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this as often as you do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he offered it to his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and for many in forgiveness of sins. Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we have learned over the last five years is this. It is only by being broken that we are made whole. It is only by pouring ourselves out for others that we are made truly full. The table is open. Come and receive the grace of the Lord Jesus.